Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, here we go. Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul writing, and here's what he says. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, notice, not just for everybody, but for Israel, is that they may be saved. Now, why would he say that? He would say that because, of course, he is Jewish. He is a Pharisee. Um, Well, a former Pharisee, we could say, because now he is an apostle, a preacher, and a teacher by his own admission. But he said, uh, I want Israel to be saved. He is Jewish, and he knows that the majority of Jewish people do not believe that Jesus or Yeshua is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. So he said, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I hear, excuse me, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. In other words, they're passionate, but their knowledge of what they're going after is not precise, it's not accurate, even though they have the Bible at that time. We we'd call it the Old Testament, but it's the Bible that Paul used. It's the Bible that Jesus used. It's the Bible that the 12 apostles used. Uh, because the New Testament, you know, we're in this time where it's being written, but had not yet been assembled, even what had been written. And so it says they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So he's dealing with this issue of righteousness, that there is a distinction between our own righteousness, which the book of Isaiah says is as filthy rags, and God's righteousness. And so he's saying, my own countrymen are seeking their own righteousness. In other words, trying to keep the law to be approved by God as righteous. And of course, it's never going to happen. Paul has made that clear already. Uh, There is none righteous, no, not one. So he says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, that in other words, God's very righteousness is available to us. They being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So instead of just saying, hey, there's no way we can do it. We need salvation. We need you, Lord, to do something. Well, no, they're still working to try to get their own righteousness to be sufficient. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. So Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus, is the end of the law for righteousness. In other words, uh, the law, if you remember, was given so that people would realize, oh, we need a Savior. There's no way we can keep the law. So once the Savior came, now the law to to get to righteousness is over. So for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So notice, if you don't put your faith in Jesus, then you'll still be trying to earn your salvation. You know, we hear people do this today. You'll ask somebody, hey, you know, so uh, when you die, what do you think is going to happen to you? And so many people would say, oh, I think I'm going to go to heaven. And you'll ask why? 
And they'll say, well, I, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I, I try not to hurt people. I try to, you know, help people and be, be helpful and be basically honest, whatever basically honest means, right? And they'll give really some laws that I'm keeping this and I'm doing this. And what they're really describing is trying to attain to righteousness through being good enough. And that's a problem. And we learned in chapter 4 of Romans that whoever works for righteousness, to him it's accounted as debt. In other words, you owe God a big debt because you tried to earn righteousness and your earning was so deficient. You weren't even close. You weren't even at a level of an F. <laughs> you, were, you hardly were on the chart with how good you could be. And so, for Christ is an end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, quote, the man who does those things shall live by them. The man who does those things shall live by them. Verse 6, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Now that, that's Paul saying that, and then he's going to quote from Deuteronomy. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? So let me clarify what he means. What does the righteousness of faith speak? What does the righteousness of faith speak? And then he quotes again. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How? By grace. See, so you have to believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he is the Savior, and you have to decide to confess with your mouth. Did you know you can believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died on the cross for your sins? But if you don't make the decision to speak out what you believe, making Jesus the Lord of your life, it's not going to work. You know, you, you may go to look at a car that you just love and you know, I should buy this car. It's such a good car. It's such a good deal. But if you don't open up your mouth and say, I'll take it. If you don't use words like your name to sign the document or the agreement, even if you believe that that's the right car for you and that you should buy it today, it won't be purchased until you open up your mouth, so to speak. You have to purchase it with those words, whether it be verbal or oral words, or whether it be you writing, signing your name to a document of words to take possession of that car, you have to confess it. And in the same way, the gospel is preached to us, we begin to hear that Jesus paid for all the sins. We could never pay for our sins. We'll never measure up. But Jesus, with innocent blood, paid for all the sins. And if we believe that he is indeed the Savior, he is indeed the Lord, and then by our decision, we speak out what we believe and we declare Jesus to be our Lord, then we're saved. So let me read verse 9 again, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for, verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, believes unto righteousness. Notice, not works unto righteousness. No, this is the righteousness of faith. This is the righteousness as a free gift. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth 
confession is made unto salvation. So praise God for that. Notice the heart and the mouth. The heart and the mouth. Verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. What does that mean? God is not a racist. <laughs> the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. It's just that you have to be in the category of believing and calling on the Lord to receive this. Verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't you love that? For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now notice verse 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? If they don't believe in him, how can they call on him? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. In other words, Isaiah is saying, oh, a lot of them have heard it, but <laughs> they have not all obeyed it. Uh, Paul said, and then he said, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So in other words, this has been going on that Jewish people, and of course, it's not just Jewish people, it's Gentiles as well. But it's been going on that the people of God, and in this case, Jewish people, have heard the gospel. They've heard the truth. Prophets were sent and such. And they did not believe and they did not receive the message. And Paul's saying that's going on today. And of course, today, when he's writing, that's a couple of thousand years ago. But we know it's still going on today. The vast majority of Jewish people from the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah still. And so, so then faith, well, he goes on to say, uh, but they have not all heard. Let me repeat this, verse 16. But they have uh, not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So here's the thing. You have to believe so that you can confess. If you don't believe, you're not going to make Jesus Lord because you don't believe he is the Lord. But to believe, he makes the case here. He says, look, somebody's got to preach to them. How are they going to believe in something they don't know they've never heard of? Someone they've never heard of. So we have to preach. So notice when it says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's really talking about the preached word of God, that somebody needs to proclaim the word of God to them. And so this is why Jesus told us in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Why? Because the power of the gospel is what causes people to believe. They can't prove that what you're saying is true. But when you're preaching it, something happens in the human heart that makes you believe. It makes you question uh, that your rationale before that point is accurate. And you begin to think, I don't know why, but this sounds true. I, I believe this is right. And so that's the power of the gospel. We read about it in chapter one of Romans when Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. 
He didn't say the gospel conveyed the power of God or attained, or excuse me, or possesses the power of God. No, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That message, when we share it, proclaim it, speak it, deliver it to people, write it, when people receive it, that gospel has the power to go into our ears, into our hearts, and cause us to change the way we were believing and to have a different view and perspective on things and to believe that Jesus is the Savior and that we need to confess him as Lord and follow him. So, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, Paul goes on to say, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? For Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. So he's talking to Jewish people, as we call them, and saying that I'm going to provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation, talking about non-Jewish people, uh, unbelievers, and that he's going to provoke the Jews to jealousy. In other words, here are God has made a covenant with Jewish people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the descendants. He has made promises to them. And yet now, people who are Gentiles, who did not have the covenant of Abraham, who did not have the blessing of Abraham, who did not have all those promises, now these Gentiles have believed in Jesus, who of course did have those promises, and they're receiving the blessings, they're receiving the benefits, they're receiving the, the fulfillment of the covenant, and God wants the Jewish people to look and to say, hey, why are they getting the benefits of our covenant? And we're not getting those benefits. See, so the Gentiles who believe in Jesus and begin to receive, receive and reap the benefits of the covenant of God with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and eventually Jesus are provoking the Jews to jealousy. That's why we need to receive these benefits. We need to fight for them because people need to see that our God is real. And the Jewish people need to see that their God is real and that Jesus is indeed their Messiah. Okay, verse 20. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Notice the contrast. I was found by those who weren't even seeking me. And I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. Okay, that's the Gentiles that when the gospel came, they just received so easily, at least many of them. But then he says, but with Israel, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. I was trying to get myself to them and get the gospel to them, and they just would not receive it. And so God is showing the contrast that the Gentiles have been much more open to receiving the gospel than the Jewish people to whom and through whom the gospel came. And so it's, it's somewhat ironic, but it is absolutely true. The people of God whom God made a covenant with and through whom God brought the Savior, the Messiah, those are the people that have been among the most challenging people to believe in their own covenant and in the 
fulfillment of their own promises. Isn't that wonderful that God would show us this? Now, of course, it's not wonderful that they haven't believed yet, uh, by and large. But we'll see in this next chapter that God is, has not given up on the Jewish people. He is still after them and committed to see many of them be saved. So that's tomorrow's reading. Don't miss tomorrow. It's one of the toughest passages for scholars to interpret and to understand. It has some real uh, doctrinal challenge in it, but I look forward to jumping into it with you. I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.